humble the title there for a second. Long Obedience in the Same Direction by Eugene Peterson, the same guy who wrote the Message Bible. Uh, great book. I, I'm not going to be tracking exactly with, with uh, Pastor Peterson, uh, even though I'm going to be speaking on the same Psalms. And we're not going to get through all of them. There are 15, so there's not that many weeks left in the summer, so we're not going to get through all of them, but we're going to get through some of them. And uh, Psalms are just a... You, you need to get into the Psalms for your prayer life. The Psalms are the place to go. Uh, if you will start praying the Psalms, it will, um, if you haven't done it already, it will revolutionize your prayer life when you start praying the Psalms. Uh, these, are, these, Psalms uh, are, these Psalms of ascent, as they're called, or Psalms of degrees, are the songs that the, the people of Israel, the Hebrews, would sing on their three annual pilgrimages to Jerusalem. And those would be the Passover in the spring, uh, the Feast of Weeks in the early summer, and the Feast of Tabernacles in the fall. So they would make their journey from wherever they lived to Jerusalem to worship God, and they would sing these songs. So I believed in these complex times uh, that we live in, uh, that these meditations might let us know some priorities for taking us away from a world that's complicated and a world that's full of burdens and care, and I like the song that we just sang, and into the presence of God. How many of you, how many of you sometimes need some help to get into the presence of God, right? The world can be a pretty tough place, and so we need some help. And uh, uh, topographically, uh, Jerusalem was the highest point in that area. So uh, the people were literally ascending. They were literally going up. And so when we begin to move toward God, we're going up from the world that we're in. And so I believe this today is a very important psalm. And as you will see in a moment, we'll talk about it kind of being a kind of different um, thing that you would normally think you would think about when you're thinking about entering into worship. Listen to what he says in Psalms 120. I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. Save me, Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. What will he do to you, and what more besides you deceitful tongue? He will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrows, with burning coals of the broom bush. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshach, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Now, Psalms 120 seems like a strange song to open up one's journey to worship the living God. It's not at all how we approach worship uh, in our church services, in the 21st century anyway. We've kind of latched on to Psalms 104, uh, which says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. So we, we think, okay, I, I'm going to think about talking to God. I better get my attitude right. I better get my act together, because I'm going to, I'm going to think about talking to God, and so I better, I better show him how positive I am. I better show him, you know, I dare not talk about or think about how angry I am at certain people and how certain people have really hurt me and certain circumstances really stink in my life. I'm not, I mean, what would you think if you came in on Sunday morning and our opening song was, uh, just imagine singing uh, I'm surrounded by liars. I'm surrounded by deceitful people. 
you would go, man, I'm going to find another church. I'm going to find a church a little more upbeat than this one. <laughs> but the people, the Hebrews, would do this. They, they would sing about what was going on in their life. You know, so here's the thing. I, I love the verse in Psalms 104 about entering its gates with thanksgiving and its courts with praise, but there are times when we're anxious, when we're stressed out, and when we're down, and when we're fearful, and even when we're disgusted. What Psalms 120 teaches me is that singing out our pain is just as much a part of our journey to intimacy with God as singing out our praise. John Calvin said when he wrote a commentary in the book of Psalms, he said it provides for us an anatomy of the entire soul of man, of all the parts of man. So that there's an honest and sincerity about these Psalms that I think speaks to us. That was John Calvin's words. I know uh, when I was going through a medical treatment a while back, uh, every day I would go and they would ask me about what music I want played. And they would, well, I think they were using Spotify and they play music. And I, I started out asking for praise music, Bethel and other things like that, but it, it just didn't work. It just didn't work. And, and it wasn't that I was angry or that I was uh, frustrated with God or anything like that. It just didn't work. And I, I, was asking, uh, I was asking a friend of mine about that. I said, you know, I don't, I don't get it. I don't, I just, in that environment, I just don't appreciate high praises to God. It just doesn't, doesn't do anything for me. It doesn't doesn't it's incongruent and he said well the reason is you're looking for music that has tension in it because you're in a situation that has tension and and I, I changed music I started listening to music you see a lot of you didn't live through a, a, an era of the church a church that I lived through when we used to sing about our troubles we really did we we sang about our troubles at church we talked about our troubles we call it testimony services but really it was everybody getting up and talking about their troubles. But we shifted. We, the, we went through this era uh, of prosperity, not only in, in, in the world, but in the church. We went through an area of prosperity gospel and po positive thinking kind of got into the church, which, is, which is, should be in the church by, by all means. Prosperity doctrine should be in the church. Positivity should be in the church. But we left behind. I remember the Bible teachers who were telling us, we need to stop talking like that. We need to stop talking about our trials. We need to start talking about our troubles. And we needed to confess that which was positive. I don't think, while, while sometimes, yes, we needed to become more positive, I think, I think we did ourselves a disservice, though. Because God is a God of grace and mercy. And... and understanding and he's not fooled by me saying everything is wonderful <laughs> and he's not disturbed when I say life stinks I'm, I'm hurt I'm afraid L look at what David said in verse 1 you know, he, he didn't say, if I can get my attitude straightened out, I can have a relationship with God. That, that, that's what we live in this. We've created almost a, and some of you will be familiar with this term and some of you won't. But we've created, I don't know another word to use, we've created sort of legalism. We've gotten rid of one kind of legalism and replaced it with another. That if I'm going to get into God's presence, I have to be skipping and dancing and joyful. And that's how I get into God's presence. Because he, he is ready to slap anybody down. He's like the, he's like the king... The, the king who hires a jester. 
And the gesture's there to keep him laughing. The gesture's there to make sure he doesn't hear all the truth that's going on in the world and all the stuff that his, 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 his rule is causing, all the problems his rule is causing. The gesture's there just to make him laugh. And so we feel like, oh, God is, I, I better make him laugh because he might, he might uh, pull out his club of judgment and destroy me if I, don't, if, if I, if I upset God today. Think how ridiculous that is. David said in verse 1, I will call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. Wow. I will call on the Lord in my distress. And then you, you skip down to verse 5. He said, Woe to me that I dwell in Meshach, that I live among the tents of Kedar. So, so what the folks were singing about, now think about this. These people were singing this when they went to Jerusalem. So what they were singing about and meditating on in the first leg of their journey to the city of Jerusalem was, God, you were faithful to our king when he wasn't in a good place. And therefore, you will be faithful to us when we are not in a good place. God, you were faithful to our king. They were singing about their king. They loved David. So they were singing about their king. They were singing the song he wrote. And they were singing about a time in his life when things were not going well at all. In fact, I'm going to call today's message, When You Want to Get Away. I, I'm going to put a picture of the habitation of Kedar here. And the, uh, the Kedar, Kedar described the people. He said, I, I live in Meshach, or Meshach, uh, and Kedar. When Kedar described the people, they were a Bedouin nomadic people. And so David, who had been destined for the throne and anointed for the throne, was running for his life from King Saul. And this is where he ended up. A long ways from the palace, right? No wonder he sang, no wonder he sang the blues instead of a praise song. Okay? So the people of Israel would sing this song about this desperate day in the life of their king. Remember the way, remember the people revered David in the, way, the same way that we revere Jesus. So it's very interesting that they would take a song from their hero that would, that would chronicle a day in his life when their hero was in complete despair as he faced the utter corruption of humanity and the complete opposite result of faith, courage, and obedience represented by uh, his, their kings facing down Goliath and humbly playing songs of encouragement on his harp for a crazed, deranged king. Some of you know that story, some of you don't. That, that David, after he killed Goliath, that Saul, who was in all kinds of trouble spiritually and mentally, and he just became deranged, and he, he realized that David could play the harp, and so he would invite David to come and play the harp, and the demonic spirits would leave him when David would play the harp. So here this, here this slayer of Goliath, this one who could have parlayed his success into taking the throne away from Saul if he had wanted to, he could have parlayed his success into to taking away the throne, but he was, a, he was a man after God's own heart. So instead of doing that, he would go and play his harp for this wild, crazy king and calm him down. Until one day the king, the spirits came on him and David couldn't play loud enough. And he took a spear and he threw it at David and tried to pin him to the wall because he was jealous of David. Because the people... We're all out there in the streets singing, Saul has killed his thousands, but David is ten thousands. So David had moved to this place running from Saul, and he's having a really bad week. And so he writes a really 
terrible, sad, bluesy song. And they would take this song as one of the ones they sang when they went up to Jerusalem. So, you know, Eugene Peterson uh, talks about our need for repentance when he, uh, when he preaches, when, when he writes about this scripture. But I, I want to I take it a step further. Uh, and yes, we do need to repent of our treachery. But I believe this passage also connects with a God who cares when we're the victims of treachery. We're the victims of manipulation. We're the victims of self-interest and malevolence. And we're the, victory, we're the, we're the victims, victims of those who are about themselves. For those who have no regret for the pain and the chaos that they cause in our lives. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshach, that I live among the tents of Kedar, verse 5 says. But the psalm doesn't start with saying, woe is me. It starts with saying, I call on the Lord in my distress and he answers me. Save me, Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongue. You know, I wonder if there's some of you here today who feel guilty about not liking where you are in life. And so it's interfering with your worship. It's interfering with your communication with God. And I want to try to set you free today. I want to try to set you free to talk to God about how you feel. And to get real with God today. And that there's virtue in that. And there's power in that. I call on the Lord in my distress and he answers me. Uh, we, we might even be wrong about being a victim, by the way. I've been wrong about being a victim several times in my life. Well, you might even be wrong. But we're headed to Zion to sort that out. We're headed to God to sort out and figure out the truth. Our back is to Kedar and Meshach. We've, we're facing Zion. We're, we're going up the hill to meet with God. And we're going to let Him help us sort out whether what we're feeling is true or not, but we're going to stop lying about what we feel. We're going to stop lying and saying, yes, everything is great, when it's not. We're going to stop lying and saying, I, I, I feel that God is being awesome to me right now and everything He's doing for me, when we don't really feel that way. We're going to God over the people who send us to Meshach. Southwest Airlines really nailed it when they created the Wanna Get Away commercials. Those are some of my favorite commercials. I, mean, I think the latest when a guy's getting an Uber car and like two guys have just robbed a bank. <laughs> get, jump in beside him and, and of course, uh, and the guy goes, hey, I didn't know we were taking hostages. <laughs> <laughs> Wanna get away? I love that. That's how David felt. You see, David was having a want-to-get-away day. Uh, you see what happened, what happened uh, to David. And, and the, the, this, this psalm was actually written uh, related to a specific event. After David was, uh, was uh, almost killed by Saul's... Uh, there was that attempted assassination of David. David ran to uh, the temple where Ahimelech, the priest, was serving... And he asked for food, and he asked for a sword. And Ahimelech fed him and his men, and actually went and got the sword of Goliath. 
the sword that David had cut Goliath's head off with. And, and David said, this is good. This is a good sword. This works. Sitting over in the corner was a guy named Doag. And Doag sat there and acted like he was all okay with everything. And he was cool. And he was everybody's friend. But as soon as David left, he ran to Saul. And he told Saul that David... So he was letting, letting Saul know David's location, which is probably why David had to run so far. A, hundred, a couple hundred miles at least from Jerusalem. A long ways. While David had to run to this location in southern Turkey somewhere. Why David had to do that was, was because of Doeg's uh, lying, deceiving personality. And, and uh, then Saul commanded Doeg to go and slay Ahimelech. And I believe it was 85 priests he, he put to the sword that day. And so David wasn't just talking about, well, somebody walked by me and didn't speak to me today. <laughs> He wasn't just talking about, well, they didn't return my text. You know, uh, uh, pastor said he was going to call me, and he didn't. He's a liar, deceiver. No, it's a little more serious than that. I mean, this was, this was life, man. This was really life. And uh, also, don't forget that the doags of life are often evil spirits. And I don't know where you stand on that. Maybe you don't believe there's a devil. Maybe you don't believe there are demons. But without going into a long explanation of why I do, I'm just going to say you're wrong. <laughs> there are devils and there are demons that lie, deceive, bring delusion. There's things that are going on. Sherry and I were just talking this morning about things that are going on in the culture, that the only explanation we can come up with is that people are under delusion, that a spirit of delusion has come on them that's just made them insane, just insane. And uh, I think there's just, boy, there's such overwhelming evidence. Just as just there's such overwhelming evidence that there's a God who loves us and cares about us, there's overwhelming evidence that there is a devil who... who, who the, Jesus called him the father of lies. Jesus called, the Bible says that he appears as an angel of light. He's the great deceiver. And I watch, I watch over and over in my ministry, havoc being created in people's lives because they believe a lie. They get deluded into thinking something. They, they get deluded into fighting some battle that's not even the right battle. They get deluded into, into being bitter about something that didn't even happen. I can't tell you how many times I've seen that in 40 years of pastoring. People who get bitter over something that didn't even take place. And you think, you know, I used to be really naive and I would think, well, I'll have a meeting and I'll clear this out. <laughs> I'll bring everybody in a room and it doesn't help. It doesn't help because there's a... We need, we need to understand this. Man, this is so important. The antidote to chaos is to regularly go up to Zion, to the city of God. If I can get those people that are in that delusion to go to God, they'll, they'll, it'll, get, it'll get cleared up. Leaving, we, we've got to go to the city of God and leave behind the city of man. You know, when, you, when people are driving you crazy, when they're being toxic, it's time for a road trip to the city of God. 
You know, let me give you a few insights out of this whole thing of, of people being difficult and hurtful and deluded. Always act surprised and grateful when people are good, generous, and unselfish towards you. They're resisting their natural instincts. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. It includes me. Always act surprised and grateful. And that's one problem we have, is we don't act grateful when people are magnanimous toward us. And they are all the time. Constantly, people are generous and caring, and we ignore it. We must stop doing that. We must act, wow, I can't believe you did that for me. Because truly, they had, they had to overcome a lot of self-interest. If someone truly served you, if someone really went out of their way to help you, if someone really went out of their way to bless you in any way, I'm telling you, they had to overcome everything that is natural to a human being because we are crippled by the disease of self-interest. All of us, all of us are crippled by the disease of self-interest. Second thing is always hold tight to people you perceive are really trying to be good, generous, and unselfish, even when they stumble. I got one amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> Don't reject people. You know, I, I, Paul, David describes these li this liar, deceiver, all this thing. But don't reject people just because they offend you. He wasn't talking about someone who just offended him. The Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. You know, stick around in February. We're going to talk about how to love our annoying and weird friends. We're going to talk about that. But they're not the people that you need to pray against. Don't reject people just because they irritate you. The Bible says as iron sharpeneth iron, so one man's countenance sharpeneth another. Don't reject people just because this, this they don't follow just because they don't follow your agenda. Don't do that. Uh, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs that first, the first man to state his case seems right until another man comes to examine him. So don't reject people because they reject your agenda. Don't reject people just because they make you uncomfortable. The people that are challenge you, challenging you aren't the people that are going to hurt you. Notice what he said in verse 2. Save me from lying lips, from deceitful tongues. It's the person giving you the drugs that's going to hurt you. It's the person sharing with you the gossip. That's your, that's your enemy. The person that's trashing good authority. Encouraging your rebellion. Feeding your resentment. Maybe even inviting you to their bed. Those are, those are the people that are going to destroy your destiny and your legacy. Paul said it this way. And some people think. Some people think the reason they can't say what David said and the reason they can't say the reason they can't pray against somebody that's really bad is because they think if I'm a Christian I'm nice and Christians are nice people and non-Christians are not nice people so all the Christians are really nice and all the non-Christians are really not so nice that's not how you separate Christian from a non-Christian friend Paul said this Paul said Alexander the coppersmith has done me much evil. I mean, it's like he, he, he tweeted it out, really. 
He didn't, he, he, he didn't go... He didn't go say it privately. He wrote it in a letter, and that's as close as you could get to Twitter in that day. That's as close as you could get to social media, is to send it out in a letter that, was to be, that would, they would stand up and read in front of the whole church. And he wrote a letter, and, and a lot of people think that if you're a good Christian, you never say anything bad. No, that's not Christianity. Th- that's called a loser. That's not a Christian. That's a loser who thinks everybody's, everything's okay. And everybody's okay. And nobody's out to hurt me. Boy, the bad people in life can see you coming from a mile away. They got radar for you. Oh, there's a nice Christian who thinks nobody means any harm. <laughs> no, no. Now, uh, David, Paul wrote, Alexander the coppersmith has done me much evil. May the Lord reward him accordingly. You need to separate the Alexanders in your life from the people that just get on your nerves and annoy you like me. Save me, Lord, from lying, t- lying, lying tongues, he said. See, this is no trivial like, like matter. See, I... I, I, I Boy, it's so important because I see people lose their destiny and lose their families because they don't know the difference between the people that are just kind of irritating and the people maybe they're trying to help them but don't always do it very well or not very artfully and aren't very, you know, that stumble and fail trying to help them and they just embrace people that are very destructive. We've got to figure this out. I really believe that. See, let me tell you something about this whole thing is there are two anointings. There's the... There's the private anointing and public anointing. What do I mean by that? Remember, these people, when they're walking up to Jerusalem, they're thinking about their king. They're, they're thinking about their king. And their king had a private anointing and a public anointing. The, public, the private anointing is when Samuel goes over to his house and unknown to the rest of the nation of Israel... Nobody else knew about it. That didn't get put in, put in any, any advertisements. He anointed David as a king of Israel. And nobody knew about it. The brothers knew about it, but they weren't going to tell anybody. And you read the story. Those brothers were not interested in anybody else knowing that their little brother had been anointed king of Israel. They, they lived in denial of that. And you can see it by the way they treated him when he goes, when they, when he goes to, to fight Goliath. But later there would be a public anointing when he would be anointed publicly. And you that are sitting here this morning, I mean this with all my heart, you've been anointed by God to be God's son. You've been anointed to be an heir and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You've been anointed to be a king. Over the, you've been anointed to rule over your own life. You've been anointed to have dominion in the earth. You've been anointed, to have, you've been anointed with gifts and talents and abilities that make the world a better place. And the devil does not want you to ever have your public anointing. He wants you to just have your private anointing and don't tell anybody and don't everybody find out and you never rise up and become the person that God called you to be. You never rise up in your family and become the person and the voice that God calls you to have. You never rise up in your church and become the leader that God has called you to be. You never rise up in your community. You never rise up at work and become the person that God has called you to be. You never rise up in your own life and you never embrace your public anointing because between your private anointing and your public anointing, Satan comes in and tries to kill you. And if he can't kill you physically, he will kill you mentally and emotionally. 
and cripple you. And he will, he will bring doags into your life who will rob you, of, who will do everything in their power because of their extreme self-interest. Doag doesn't care about Saul or David. He cared about himself. If the tables had been turned and David had been on the throne and Saul would have been running, he would have still run to the king because he cared about himself and he was trying to empower himself and ingratiate himself and, and increase his power. And there are people like that. There are people, the only cause they have is themselves. And those are the people you've got to watch out for. The people whose only concern is their own advancement. Their only concern in life is their own uh, 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 exaltation and satisfying their, 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 their sociopathic people in this world. And you need to know that. Always make God your default when people are unkind, stingy, and selfish. And you will make your journey to the city of God. Don't confuse the actions of people with the actions of God. David didn't confuse the personality. See, he didn't go like some of us who are sitting here this morning. I think David, J- Jason addressed this. and I think it was the Holy Spirit had him address it. He addressed it a while ago. That you get in this situation and you blame God. You blame God because there's this person that's rejected you. Or the situation. It can, be in, it can be right in your family. That's where it happens a lot of times. David didn't blame God. He, his relationship with God was totally intact. I cried to the Lord. He heard me. In fact, God, I want to tell you about some really bad people that you need to take care of. <laughs> that are really doing me wrong. So don't confuse the action of God with the action of people. We know to get, we, we say we're going to go to Mount Zion to get our heads straight about our people problems, right? We're not going to create a, a gossip group here in the church about the people. We're going, to go, we're going to make it to God. We're going to get to the throne of God, and we're going to talk to God about the things that are causing us problems. So after we've done that, after we have, after we have started our direction to God over the things and the people and the circumstances in our life that are making our lives difficult and are trying to rob us of our destiny, we need to then realize God's enough when he's all we've got. Verse 3 and 4. What will he do to you? And what more besides you deceitful tongue? He will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrow, with the burning coals of the broom bush. Now, have you accepted this fact? Now, this is really important, I think. At least I think so. Maybe it's not, but I think it is. And you tell me. Have you accepted the fact that you were created, you were created with a greater expectation and capacity to be loved than other humans have the capacity to love you. You were created with a greater uh, expectation of appreciation and exaltation and love than any human has the ability to meet that expectation. That's why you've got to leave Meshach and go to Jerusalem. That's why you've got to climb the hill. You've got to climb the hill to God. That, that's what this is about. So, so here's a little something to think about on your way to Jerusalem, the city of peace. You will imagine yourself as you go. You imagine the lying, cheating, scheming, self-centered jerks. Maybe they're not, but that's what you imagine. Because you were created to be loved by the omnipotent, 
omniscient, omnipresent Lord who speaks worlds into existence. You are created to be the center of attention to the greatest being who ever lived. And you find, even with the best of humans, that they often don't even have time to listen to you tell a little story. Of course, you're just like them. But amazingly, we all have seasons of life when we can't see we can't see ourselves, of course. I have days when it would really be best that I avoid human contact, you know. <laughs> because I'm sure that I'm the only one in at least a 10-mile radius who is not a complete idiot. <laughs> and, and, and I'm the only one in a 10-mile radius who's not so full of themselves that they can't see that if I just had a little encouragement, I could indeed rise up and be the great one I was created to be. This is very biblical, by the way. Jeremiah 9.2, I love this verse. Oh, that I could go away, go away and forget my people. <laughs> and live in a traveler's shack in the desert. For they are all adulterers, a pack of treacherous liars. <laughs> and then Psalmist David said, uh, actually it wasn't Psalmist David, it was, uh, it was the worship leader who wrote this psalm. Oh, that I had the wings of a dove in Psalms 55.6. I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee far away and stay in the desert. I would hurry to my place of shelter far from the tempest and storm. But the answer to that is Isaiah 40, verse 28. Have you never understood? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weary, weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. Not your spouse, your kids, your parents. Who can measure the depths of his understanding? He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired and young men will fall, fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on eagles, wings like eagles. They will run and grow weary, not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Amen? You need a relationship with God because even the best people in your life don't have the capacity to give you the affirmation that you deserve. I said you need a relationship with God through Jesus Christ because even the best people in your life do not have the capacity to give you the affirmation that you need, want, and deserve. David said, Paul said rather, for I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Psalm 62 says, trust in him at all times. O people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. It is no small thing to say that prayer is the key to heaven. It's no small thing to say that prayer is the answer or the thing that gets us to the answer anyway. The last thing I want to talk about is identifying with a king who rules in Jerusalem. Identifying with a king. We don't understand the relationship of people with a beloved king. We don't understand that. We're not in a monarchy. But you get a little taste of it when you see you know, the Queen of England. You get a little taste of what that's like. And that, that, what that identity is like. 
Psalms chapter 2, David wrote, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. Now, obviously, David wasn't talking about himself. He was talking about the Lord. He was talking about the real king. But, but just imagine as the Hebrews were ascending to Jerusalem, the first thing they were thinking was about their king, but not just about their king, they were thinking of what he went through and how it turned out for him. They were thinking about their rejected king, their persecuted king, their betrayed king, their exiled king, their defenseless king. It's very interesting to me that when David sings this song, here's a man of war. Here's a man who was comfortable with war. In fact, when he was not allowed to build the temple because there was so much blood on his hands. Because he was a man who wasn't afraid. He wasn't afraid to kill people. He wasn't afraid to fight battles, physical battles, and put people away. But because he's modeling himself after another king, he appears defenseless in Psalms 120. He doesn't say, I'll go take care of them, which he was capable of doing. He said, God, you defend me. You take care of the people. So the people thought, were thinking about this. They were thinking about their rejected, persecuted, betrayed, exiled, and defenseless King David. And this, this all in spite of the fact that he had been the purest and best thing to ever happen to the nation of Israel. So they were thinking, they were identifying, they were celebrating, and they were imitating. Oh, I hope you can hear what I'm saying right now. They were thinking, they were identifying, they were celebrating, and they were imitating their king's transcendence from Meshach to Mount Zion and his rejection and his betrayal and his defenselessness. They were, they were going through that mentally and that was their meditation. David was, was great, but, but it, there's something better. We have a superior king. And so did David who made the same journey. He was betrayed. He was rejected. He was defenseless. He did not defend himself. He committed himself to God who judges righteously. So now, because his kingdom has come, because he, he made the trek to Zion, he made the trek to Zion 2,000 years ago, and his name is Jesus, by the way. And Jesus, our king, made the trek to Zion, and there he took care of business. I said he took care of business. He took care of the, the deceitfulness and the lying and the deception and the sinfulness of self-interest. He took it in his own body on the tree and he destroyed sin forever. Amen? Amen? So now because his kingdom has come, we are not just Three times a year going to Zion. We are perpetually making the journey from Meshach to Zion every day of our lives. Amen? So what is the lesson for us today? We who live in Meshach, 
Don't, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you are in Meshach and Kedar this morning? You're there. Meshach, buddy, your pastor, I am living there today. Here's the lesson of Psalms 20. Don't anoint a king and build a kingdom in Meshach. Love that career, but don't make a kingdom out of it. Love those kids and that family, but don't make them your kingdom. Love those hobbies and those leisure activities, but don't make a kingdom out of them. Love your town, your community, but no, don't make a kingdom out of them. Turn your back on Keter, on Meshach. Make your way to the city of God every day of your life. I want to close with Psalm Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2. In the last days, oh man, this is so good. Ooh, I'd like to preach a little longer. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all. We're living in the last days. The most important place on earth. It will be raised above the other hills, and people from all over the world will stream there to worship. People from many nations will come and say, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God. There he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For the Lord's teaching will go out from Zion. His word will go out from Jerusalem. The Lord will mediate between nations and will settle international disputes. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will no longer fight against nation nor train for war anymore. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus.